like to mention a verse about tithes and offerings. This focuses more on offering this time, Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We think of our treasure as being in our bank account or in our wallet or purse, but God says, uh, God says that our tre- wherever we put our treasure, that's where our heart is. I remember um, one time at a Bethel Reading conference, I was I had met a mom and a dad of a BSSM student from England. And I felt for them because I know what it's like to go visit my daughter in England for a week. And they were here just for a week in Reading to see their daughter. And I asked them how they were going to be spending their time. It was just sort of a meet and greet time. And they said, well, one of the things, we're going out to eat tonight. And someone had given me $100 uh, a couple of days before. I don't even remember what the occasion was. But someone had given me. I had an extra $100 bill in my wallet. And I just felt compelled to just give it to him. He says, I wanted to upgrade your dinner tonight. And you know what? I felt like I've often thought of this verse as being laying up treasures for myself in heaven being into the future. But I realized at that moment that in the parallel universe, which is heaven, the unseen world, which is the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's closer than my hand, that I was actually laying up treasures into that unseen world. And my heart was just going right after my money. I felt so blessed to give them that hundred bucks. It was so worth it. And so we tithe and we expect it, anticipate the floodgates of heaven to open for us. But it's also true to give, it's also such a blessing to give beyond our tithe because wherever we throw our money, that's where our heart goes, everywhere our money goes, that's where our heart goes. And the invitation of this passage is to always be setting our affections on the things above. And part of that is by putting our treasures in the, into the heaven realm. If you have ties for New Song Church, uh, we can receive those either by mail-in at our address. It's uh, on our Facebook page. Sorry, it's in our, on our website, 4041 Crater Lake Avenue, Suite E, 04. Text to give, directions on the website, newsongmedford.com, or we can give securely online at newsongmedford.com. So we praise uh, God for the support and encouragement of, of our together participation to advance the kingdom of God in our region and around the world. And uh, we're putting our treasures into the heaven realm and our heart is there as well because of that. So God bless us as we give. If you're here in the audience today, there are tithing and giving uh, pails in the pack as well. So cool, cool. I'm going to get my water here.
starting in September. And let me rewind. I'm going to get to that. Going to do an intro for our TV show, our TV outreach. Just bear with me, you guys that are here or watching right now. So, welcome everyone to Enjoying God, our TV outreach for New Song Church in Medford. We want to encourage you, if you're ever in the Medford area, to stop by and visit us. We on a Sunday we have a we have an outdoor service under a really cool shade at 10:30, and you can also drive up to that service and enjoy the service from your car. And you can also watch not only this on channel 11 at 11, but you can watch it again or watch other messages at um, our YouTube channel, New Song Church Medford. So this morning we are turning in our Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we are excited about the fact that in September... We are going to start reading through the Bible and preaching 32 sermons about Jesus in every book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, all about Jesus. I am so thrilled about that. I'm already doing reading and preparing for that, as are our other preaching team members. So as a team, we're really excited about that coming up in September, and we're going to be having several messages this summer in July and August, about the Bible, and I want to talk with you about the Bible today, and the topic, the subject is, uh, the subject is the accuracy of the Bible today, accuracy of the Bible, the faithfully preserved accuracy of God's Word, the Bible. My first talking point is, it is God who continually gives us a faithfully preserved, accurate Bible. God guards his book that he wrote, and he won't let anybody touch it. It's a whole, a whole, his holy word, and he gives it to us in its autograph form, that is the original writers, the first time they wrote it down, that's called the autograph, that's the inspired word, and he has preserved it down through the ages for us. Last time we talked about the fact that the Bible's authority is self-authenticating. It has the ring of truth when you read it. It's not like other religious books. It's not like the Book of Mormon or the Quran or even, or even the um, Apocrypha. It shouts to us, this is God, as we read the Holy Bible. It's self-authenticating. Well, I want to point out today that as God has faithfully preserved this accurate Bible for us, the Bible is also self-authenticating in that the Bible says about itself that the Bible is the word of God. We see Jesus over and over and over again refer to the Old Testament as the word of God. He believed the Bible that he had, all the Old Testament, that he know, knew it was true because he helped write it with the Father and the Spirit. He knew it was the very word of God and he honored it as such. And we even know that Peter, in writing 2 Peter verse 3, chapter 3, verse 16, with reference to the Apostle Paul's writings, he says to his friends, now I know what Paul writes, sometimes it's kind of hard to understand, but people with depraved minds, they twist it around into craziness, my paraphrase, 
as they do the other scriptures. As they do the other scriptures. So Peter is making a point about how people twist the Bible around. And they still do that today sometimes, don't they? But almost parenthetically, he gives us this profound insight that he, Peter, believed that his friend Paul's writings, like they do the other scriptures. He's saying Paul's writings are scripture. So that's a great witness of the Bible saying about the Bible, this is the very words of God. We see in 2 Timothy, Paul writing to his friend Timothy from just outside of Rome, about A.D. 63, A.D. 64, Paul's last letter that he writes. He writes to his friend Timothy, who is in Ephesus, these comforting words, verse 15, from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And in the Greek, the word phrase is, all scripture is God-breathed. Every single word, Timothy, in the Bible, the Old Testament, and the writings that you have of the New Testament so far, every single word is God-breathed. And are a blessing to you. They're making you wise. All the way back from when you were a kid, man, the Bible was making you wise for salvation. Timothy's probably in his early 30s, but his, his uh, grandmother, Eunice, and his, and his mother, Lois, they had uh, trained him in the word of God. And... Timothy and Paul are both in a tough spot in the writing of this book, 2 Timothy. Emperor Nero, there's, there's in the air a sense of uncertainty. We're not sure what's going to be happening. Things are not going to be the same as they were. We have a sense in the spirit, mm, something's coming down here. It seems like things are possibly going to be out of control, but God really is in control, Tim. Even though it seems like Things are out of control. And Paul is saying, I, he tells Timothy later, I am about to leave. I am about to be um, executed. I'm about to go to heaven. And Tim, I want you to know, you don't have to have me here personally for you to feel secure. Because God's word is an anchor for you, man. And, the, and you do not ever have to doubt it. That those scriptures you learned as a kid, they're solid for you now. Every word. In the Greek, A-L-L, all, our English word all, is spelled alpha, lambda, lambda in Greek. That's all. <laughs> all is a Greek word also. <laughs> all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is God-breathed. You know, to get great blessing from the Bible, one of the secrets is actually to be good saved to be born from above, to be born again. I mean, the Bible can help lead you to Christ, but sometimes, sometimes you can't receive the full benefit from the Bible unless you're good saved. For instance, 
you, you're very much like the person that's outside of the, outside of the dining room window, outside what, looking in on Thanksgiving Day at this family enjoying a Thanksgiving feast. And you can kind of enjoy it vicariously. And you can wish you had directions into the house to join it. Well, the Bible gives you those directions to get into the house to enjoy the Thanksgiving feast. But the Bible itself, once you're in the family, is part of the feast. The word of God is the feast that we enjoy in the blessings of God. I'm going to give you a chance at the end of this talk to respond to Christ, to be saved, to be born from above, to be born again. So you can be thinking about that and be ready for that because that's coming your way very, very soon. But what, Pete, but what, what um, Paul is telling Timothy, Tim, at this point in time in your life, the book of Job is 2,000 years old. It emerged about the same time language did in the, in the Mesopotamia basin. The book of Job, the oldest book of the Bible, man, every word of it is from God to comfort you and to be an anchor for you. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy that Moses wrote 1,500 years ago, Timothy, these books are designed to comfort you. And the prophets, which are between 800 years old and 400 years old, the major and minor prophets, every word of them are the, is, they're the word of God for you. God's, it's God, they are God preaching and teaching you. God speaking to you through these books. And when you read Timothy in the book of Joshua, be strong and of good courage, that's for you today. When you read in Isaiah, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That's for you today, Tim. When you read in Psalms, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who daily bears our burdens. That's for you today. It's God-breathed, Tim. Tim? As you're reading this very letter, 2 Timothy, hot off the press, I want you to know something. This is just a letter from me. It's God. It's a letter from God to you, Timothy. Honor it as such. Respect it as, as such. And, if so, and when you do, you're going to be wise for salvation. And wise for salvation doesn't mean just having the, the, the wherewithal to get you into heaven. Why, the Greek word soteria, salvation, has to do with deliverance and wholeness and health, emotional health, and mental health, emotional good health and mental good health and physical health. It has to do with wholeness in our whole body, soul, and spirit. And the Bible has that for you, Timothy. It's a great book from God to bless you, to encourage you, to inspire you with the miraculous blessing of God on your life. Even the last two sentences of this very letter, Timothy. Grace to you, amen. Means God's favor to you, Timothy, and amen to what I just said. And that's not just me, Paul, writing it. That's God saying, Tim, my favor to you, Timothy, all the rest of your life. And God is saying, amen to what I just said. God's favor to you all the rest of your life. And my friends, that's how we can see it too. Paul tells Timothy, it's for you today. It's God breathed. And 
It's for us, every word, all. God breathed, and it's life to us, soteria to us, salvation to us, body, soul, and spirit. God preserves his word for us. I heard a story some time ago about a city in World War II in Europe that had been bombed, and there was one building in this area still standing, and it was a church. And on the side of the church were letters in some language that I didn't know the European language it was, but the commentator was saying it was Isaiah 40, verse 8. This is what was on that one building that was, that was standing ex- when all the other buildings had been bombed away, destroyed. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. I think that was God making a statement about his word in the chaos and upsetness of World War II. The grass, Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The, philosopher, the French philosopher, Voltaire, an adamant, demonically inspired philosopher, hated Christians, hated the Bible. From his house, he penned books. From his house, he penned letters. He often said stuff like, within 100 years, there will only be a few Bibles in museums because we're going to be done with this craziness that is Christianity. So he said, within 50 years, Voltaire was gone. His house remained, but this guy that ended up buying his house was the president of a Bible society. And he lived there as a single guy in only a small portion of the house. He filled every spare room with as a warehouse for Bibles. You see the irony of that? It's powerful. Bibles are going to be gone. He's penned from his house. And God says, uh, excuse me. Instead, I'll make this a warehouse for Bibles. Highly skeptical scholars who wanted, wants to denou- want to denounce the miraculous blessing of the Bible. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered by a Bedouin boy and his cousin looking for their lost goat in 1946, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they found scrolls of the book of Isaiah and other Old Testament books that were written, copied, around A.D. 50 or so, about the time of Christ. The significance of the Dead Sea Scroll discovery was that our earliest Old Testament Hebrew manuscripts up to that point were 9th century A.D. So these skeptical scholars said, yes, finally, we can prove that the that the translation and the transmission of the text through nine centuries is going to be so much changed that we'll prove once and for all you cannot depend upon this being the Bible that was originally written. So they took the ninth century Hebrew Isaiah and the first century Hebrew Isaiah and they discovered something shocking to them but not shocking to us. Exactly the same, except for just a couple minor grammar points. Nothing to do with theological or story content. The Bible has been faithfully 
faithfully preserved for us. That's just a hint of it down through the centuries. So, it is God who's done this and who continues to give us faithfully preserved, accurate Bible, and he does it in our own language. God is the one, when people got together before the Tower of Babel and said, you know, forget about the knowledge of God. We're going to develop a humanist utopia by gathering together in one spot and being unified together. We will, make our, we will be our own gods and make our own future. Smacks of today a little bit, doesn't it? God says, excuse me, I designed everybody to be scattered throughout the earth, so we're going to fix that. And he made everybody's language different. So they couldn't build this Tower of Babel because the carpenter said, give me the hammer. And the guy said, what? What are you babbling about? <laughs> so everything broke down and confused, and people ended up going to the, to the nations of the world, to the countries. And, you know, there's a move in our day for nationalism, that is, people having their own countries. People even say that's a racist position, but I want you to know it's a Bible position. It's a Bible position that, um, well, Acts 17, verse 26, God has made from one blood, that is, Adam and Eve, every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined the pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their nations. God's design for us is to fully love and respect each other, have commerce between the nations, but his design is not for another Tower of Babel to emerge. He wants there to be diversity of nations. And I can't help but think one of the reasons he does is because he likes his word in different languages. Timothy, for instance, he read his Bible in Greek because it was the street language of his day. The Septuagint um, was written from the Hebrew and Greek about 250 B.C., it's called the Septuagint. It's Greek for the 70 because 70 elders got together and translated it to the Greek. And it became the lingua franca of the, for the Bible of all the Mediterranean because not everybody could read Hebrew anymore. Then later on, about the late 4th century, Jerome, the street language at that time was Latin in the West. So he translated it from Hebrew and Greek to Latin and it became enjoyable for everybody. Sadly, the church at that day locked Latin in as some kind of a magical, supernatural language that they wouldn't let it be translated into people's own tongues. But God was in control. And he, in time, after about a thousand years, he said, I'm ready for the Bible to be in German and in English and in other languages. So Martin Luther wrote it in German, translated from Hebrew and Greek, and uh, William um, and, uh, and John Wycliffe, and then a couple hundred... Later, uh, years later, uh, William Tyndale. Tyndale's special contribution was that he, used, he was the first one to use the printing press to, to uh, get the Bible going. And even though the Bible was illegal in England, he, Tyndale had, he knew, he was brilliant. He, had, he knew eight languages fluently. He's very bright. And yet his, his whole treasure was in the kingdom of heaven to the degree where he was constantly writing and running from one place to another, translating and printing, and he would uh, try to get the Bible back into England, and he was successful. In fact, he had a great passion for it. God put within his heart a desire to uh, see the Bible in English, and one time this, this uh, 
arrogant clergyman said, the Bible needs to be in Latin only. They were at a dinner table. And when did, uh, William Tyndale looked at him and he says, uh, if God spares my life, it won't be too many years until I will cause a boy who drives a plow behind a horse to know more of the scriptures than you do. Well, he was betrayed, and uh, William Tyndale was strangled to death at the age of 42, just young, and then he was burned, but his last words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. That was uh, almost an impossible situation because it was talking about Henry VIII, but you know what? Shortly after that, Henry VIII uh, made a command put the Bible in every church in England in English. And it was Tyndale's Bible that he put there. He put it under a different name because he had actually executed Tyndale. So, but it was Tyndale's work that ended up getting into the, all the churches. Here's a short YouTube about Tyndale. I want you to know it because I want you to appreciate and never take for granted the English Bible you read every day. Tyndale, two minutes. There was a time in England when Bibles were not allowed and owning a Bible meant death. Did you know that during this time the Bible used in Europe was only printed in Latin? If you couldn't read Latin, you couldn't read the Bible, and some people thought this was wrong. One of those people was Father Wycliffe. He lived in the 1300s and felt that everyone should be able to read the Bible. A man named William Tyndale agreed with Wycliffe's ideas, although he was born more than a century after Father Wycliffe died. Tyndale spent much of his life translating the Bible into English. William Tyndale believed every person should be able to read the Bible in the everyday language of the people. He learned to read eight languages, including Greek and Hebrew. Eventually, he left his home in England and traveled to Worms, Germany. It was here that Tyndale published the Worms New Testament Bible. At least 3,000 copies were printed after it was finished in 1526, and three are known to have survived to the present day. Tyndale asked merchants going to England to sell his English Bibles there. Merchants smuggled the Bibles wrapped in cloth into England inside barrels of flour or rolls of wool. As government officials heard of the Bibles being sold, they confiscated and burned the books. However, Tyndale continued his work. He offered to return to England and face trial for his crime if King Henry VIII would permit people to read the English Bibles. The king refused. Bounty hunters tracked Tyndale down and delivered him to England to face trial. Finding him guilty, English officials burned him at the stake in 1536. Tyndale's last words were, O oh God, open the King of England's eyes. Less than a year later, King Henry VIII reversed his ban and the people of England were allowed to purchase and read Tyndale's English Bibles. So we never take for granted our English Bibles. It came at a great price. And uh, you know there's over 2,000 languages globally that still don't have the Bible. So our church is going to is going to get behind. Uh, our church is going to get radically behind um, Wycliffe Bible translators more and see if we can help solve that problem. Be a part of the answer to that.
We love the English translations of the Bible that we have. They're all, they all use the Hebrew and Greek, but God also is on that for us for our benefit. Now, I want to tell you something very simply about Bible translation. There's basically two. A Bible translator has his foot in the, in the world of the Bible and of the Hebrew and Greek and the other foot in modern culture. Sometimes they lean more heavily towards culture and sometimes they lean more heavily towards what, the, what it actually says in the Hebrew and Greek in the culture it was written in. For instance, my first Bible at the age of 16 when I got saved was Letters to Street Christians. And it was in the vernacular of the Jesus movement out of Berkeley. And it has all the, the speech of sort of a hippie type of talk. And it somehow was important to me at that day that uh, I not be a traditional Christian, but more of a Jesus person Christian. And I still read it with great benefit from time to time. That leaned more heavily on this side, though, didn't it? When you read some of the very much language that you wouldn't even interpret as the Bible. Wow. Then, the King James Bible, which was based on Tyndale's work, um, was important to me. My grandmother, great-grandmother, Helgeson, read the King James Version Bible. She was just exuded this peace and joy all the time. She read the Psalms. She'd gone through great tragedy in her life and found great respite, great solace continually in the scripture, especially the Psalms. Then the NIV, the NIV, uh, my friend called it, who, doesn't, who only read the King James, he called it the not inspired version. <laughs> I called it to him, I said, no, it's the new intelligent version. <laughs> fellow teacher at Cascade Christian High School. So <laughs> anyway, it, it, it strongly, it's strongly, it's really good in the original language and also in culture. The King James in its day was strong in both. Um, the Passion Translation is very strong in culture and not as strong in the actual word-for-word -word translation, but it's all, they're all of great benefit. The story is uh, a great book. We're going to, it's a, this is the new King James Version, and it has the whole um, Bible summarized. It has a, a, the, the text of the narrative section, the story part of the section, but it summarizes in a way that bridges from one story to the next, and it's what we're going to be using in our preaching and reading starting in September. I'm going to wrap this up just a couple minutes. Okay. It is God, my final talking point, just briefly, it is God who continues to use the Bible to complete us and to thoroughly equip us, to thoroughly equip us for ministry. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all scriptures given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be, what? Complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
two waves that the Bible, uh, the Holy Spirit uses the Bible to, to wave over us in our lives. Wave after wave after wave in two areas to complete us. That is a wave of refreshing, peaceful, heavenly contentment. Over 7,000 promises in the Bible. Bible. Wave of deep contentment and peace. This is like Mary in the uh, story of Mary and Martha in the New Testament. Mary at the feet of Jesus. So happy, just content, just worshiping and being with Jesus. And the other wave is the, is, uh, is the wave of being stirred to do good things, like Mary's sister Martha wanted to serve. And Martha, she served a lot, but she didn't have the peace and contentment and joy that Mary had. And I like what Bernard of Clairvaux said. He said, Mary and Martha must live in the same house. I know so many people that are really good at being activist Christians, but missing out on being Mary, that is being in the presence of God, worshiping, and just experiencing that contentment from God. When I was in high school, I had just become a Christian, and I had my Bible in psychology class, and this very popular, well-known young guy named Jeff Kinney, he, uh, he walked up to me and said, saw my Bible on my desk, and he looked a little nervous, but he said, do you get high reading the Bible? And you know, I thought a moment, I said, actually, yeah. And what was I talking about? I was talking about that wave of contentment and joy from the 7,000 promises, and the blessing the Bible is, God speaking to us out of love. We read the Bible through the eyeglasses of God's love, don't we? Sometimes I think Christians need a reset. They need to be activated, yes, to do good stuff. But we also need that, and the Bible waves, the wave of the Bible motivates us for that, but it also motivates us to experience that contentment and peace. Both are very happy places to be in. Let's stand, we're gonna have a prayer. We praise you, Father, that the Bible is our anchor and our joy. We thank you that we have it in our own language. Praise you that you preserved it for us. And we praise you for the way it refreshes us in our souls and our spirits. Such cool, joyous, loving refreshment. Continually, oh God. And we praise you that it equips us to do good. A lifestyle like Jesus, going around doing good and healing those that are oppressed of the devil, just like Jesus did. That's what we get to do. We praise you for your Bible. We love it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.